The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Forgiveness has been pinging into my spiritual inbox lately. In that way that Anne Lamott, in her essay called Forgiveness, refers to as God as Sam I Am. Now you all remember Sam I Am in Green Eggs and Ham, how he refuses to stop popping up and doing his crazy rhymes until someone agrees to eat this weird emerald breakfast. Like Annie, it seems to me that sometimes the Holy Spirit takes it on herself to foreground something we need to learn or do or be to hammer us with the equivalent of billboards and skywriting until we get it, or at least start to. So, in the past few weeks, besides proofreading my new novel and finding it laced with forgiveness, I revised my next novel and found the same. The great Houston preacher Ralph Douglas West and I recently taught Anne Lamott at a Jan term class for Baylor's Truett Seminary. Pastor Sean asked me to teach this morning about a film I love, and I chose the 1999 Paul Thomas Anderson film, Magnolia, without even stopping to think about the fact that one of its most notable lines comes from Officer Jim Curring, played by John C. Riley. what can we forgive? And then, to top it all off, if the spirit is finished for the moment, which may or may not be true, My latest article for Baptist News Global, where I'm a senior columnist, and so I get to write about whatever I want to, turns out to be an interview with Matthew Ishihashi Potts, the plumber professor of Christian morals at Harvard. A conversation about his amazing new book, Forgiveness. In our conversation, I found these words immediately jumping out at me, and so I wanted to share them with you Ecclesia, to frame our time together this morning. What Matt said is, one way I think about forgiveness is that it's the judgment love renders. I think we tend to think of forgiveness as undoing wrong, as erasing it somehow, but in fact to say, I forgive you, is to imply that there is something that needs forgiving. To say, I forgive you, is also to say, you have wronged me. But in rendering that judgment, forgiveness tries to figure out what loving the wrongdoer would look like. Now, I suspect that the Holy Spirit keeps pinging into my inbox because I badly need a refresher course in forgiveness right now. There is a person, and this person's wrongdoing is hurting people that I love. In some ways, I find that even harder to grapple with than if this person were hurting me. And so I am reminded of Annie Lamott's wisdom in her essay that not forgiving somebody is like taking cyanide and waiting for your enemy to die. It's a spiritual cancer that eats away at us if we let it, and I do not want to let it. I know what failing to forgive has done to me in the past and I have seen what it has done to other people, including many of the characters in this movie, Magnolia, riddled as they are by pain and self-loathing. And so where I hope we're gonna arrive at the end of our time together, this teaching time, is at that place that Matt describes. Forgiveness tries to figure out 
what loving the wrongdoer would look like. My son Chandler and I talked about Magnolia last week. We both put it in our all-time top fives. Do you guys have top fives for your films? Now, for me, like the latest Spike Lee film or Quentin Tarantino film might float in or out of my top five at any given moment. But Magnolia has been firmly fixed there since 1999 when it came out. There has never been a time since that time when it was not one of my very favorite films. And so when I asked Pastor Sean if I, Sean, if I had carte blanche, like, can I choose anything? Because some of you may know that Sean and I often screen and discuss films about race and justice. But he said, knock yourself out. And so that is what I have done. Now, as you're going to see, even if you've never seen Magnolia, you're going to discover in the next few minutes that it is a long, hard, troubling, difficult movie. If you have ever been broken or felt so broken you didn't know that you were going to be whole again, this is a movie that would speak to you. It is, however, three hours long. It features this mammoth cast all of whom have been badly damaged by the past, by others, and by themselves. A former TV quiz kid, played by William H. Macy, who was exploited by his parents. A, a current TV quiz contestant, played by Jeremy Blackman, who's used as a meal ticket by his father. The game show's host, Philip Baker Hall, who long ago sexually abused his daughter, played by Claudia, or excuse me, played by Melora Walters. The producer of that TV quiz show, Jason Robarts, who long ago left his son, Tom Cruise, to care for his wife, the boy's mother, as she died of cancer. And the producer's new wife, Julianne Phillips, who has been unfaithful to him and now finds that she cannot live with the guilt and shame. It is a hard and harrowing movie. And as the movie says, we may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. So, it's a beautiful, hard, true film. And I often say when I teach or talk about the movie that at the end of the movie's second act, there are three acts in a well-told story. At the end of the second act, you will feel as, you, as if you are on the very bottom of the ocean, and you will never see light or feel warmth again. So this is an encouragement, right? You're going to rush out now and see this. But here's the thing. Then God moves, and grace flows. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Rather than try to tell you more, sketch out all these storylines, I'm going to let the movie's trailer do its work. Please join me in watching this preview of Magnolia. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a line to you from an opera. I want you to give me that line back in the language in which the opera was originally written. And for a bonus 250, uh, you can sing it. I'm Stanley Spector. There is the story of a boy genius. Willa Catherine, Thomas Kidd, Jean-Baptiste Poclamelier. And the game show host. I'm Jimmy Gator. Live from Burbank, California. First question for 25. This French playwright and actor joined the Béjar troupe of actors. And the ex-boy genius. I'm Chris Kidd, Smith. I used to be smart, now I'm just stupid. There is the story of the dying man. I'm Earl Partridge. I have a son, you know. You do? Uh, find him. 
I'm Frank T.J. Mackey. His lost son. What did he say? Because I am not going to take care of him. What does he want? And the dying man's wife. I'm Linda Partridge. I took care of him through this, Alan. What now, then? Me and him. Do you understand? There's right. no one else. No one else. The caretaker. Hello. I'm Phil Parma. See, this is uh, the scene of the movie where you help me out. And there's the story of a mother. I'm Rose Gator. You come home soon after the show. I love you. Love you too. And the daughter. I'm Claudia Wilson Gator. Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? And the police officer in love. I'm Officer Jim Curring. My life is very stressful, and I'd hope to have a relationship that is very calm and undemanding and loving. So if you are this person, please leave me a message at box number 82. And this will all make sense in the end. This is not an easy job. I have to take everything and play as it lays. Sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes people need to be forgiven. And that is a very tricky thing on my part, making that call. But you can forgive someone, well that's the tough part. What can we forgive? Is that unclear? Kind of. God. Oh, and there's so much in that brief introduction that it's almost impossible to figure out where to start. But one of the things that I like about showing this to you is that at least you get a sense of the sureness of Anderson's direction. Um, the importance of Amy Mann's songs, which permeate the whole movie. Anderson built the movie around Amy Mann's music, and the artistry of Anderson's script. Now, a couple of teaching things about a movie like this. Um, with a, a movie like Magnolia, or Love Actually, or Nashville, where you've got a whole bunch of main characters, one of the things we often have to do as the audience is learn to suspend some of our usual disbelief about coincidences. Now, these are not the only stories that do this. If you've ever read Dickens, it seems like in the Dickens novel, there are only six people who live in London, right? And they just keep running into each other over and over and over again. And for his part, Anderson does his best to, to build meaningful links. You saw how many of these characters are related to each other in one way or another. He does his best to offer foreshadowing. There are a ton of references to the book of Exodus, particularly to a single verse, which will make sense after you watch the movie because it all points to this moment toward the end of the film where God intervenes. And I'm not gonna spoil that moment for you for anything, but in my book, The Gospel According to Hollywood, I described it as a full-fledged Old Testament-style miracle in a Hollywood film. And so, crazy as that moment seems, at least Anderson is aware as a storyteller that he needs to prepare for it and to prepare us for it with talk about meaningful coincidences and the idea that things can and do happen in this world 
and with the underlying notion that there's a benevolent controlling intelligence in the world that Paul Thomas Anderson has created. Now, that moment of miraculous intervention when it comes doesn't make any of the hard moments leading up to it any easier to bear. A student at Baylor once came up to me at the end of this film almost in tears. And tears are an appropriate response. It is a hard, heavy, but ultimately grace-filled story. But her distress came for a different reason. She was upset because she had had to watch the movie we had just watched. And she told me that she had spent her entire life trying to avoid being in the company of people like the foul-mouthed, immoral, badly broken characters of this film. I, I listened to her because I could tell that she was upset and because I could see that she was wrestling with the reality that this film and possibly reality itself are R-rated. And then I remember saying this to her as gently as I could because she was a deeply Christian person and I wanted her to understand this. I said to her, I guess Jesus didn't get that memo. Because of course you know and I know that Jesus went to those who were unloved and unlovely. He went to those who were badly broken, like these characters, or like me when I first watched this film, or maybe like you at some moment in your life, or maybe like you this morning. We know that we were offered this grace, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus gave His life to redeem us. We know that we who have been given this grace are called to the work that Officer Curring says is the tough part. Sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes they need to be forgiven. And this three-hour movie, operatic, is how Roger Ebert of Blessed Memory described it. Operatic full of despair and disease and even death, remains one of the most powerful, most useful stories I know about how we might do that difficult work, about how we might live with grace and purpose. Now, as you've seen, there are so many characters in this film, so many interconnected storylines that I think we can only give attention to a few in our teaching time together. So I want to focus on the person at the center of this film and its web of relationships, the TV producer Earl Partridge, who is dying of cancer. As I mentioned, years ago, Earl abandoned his wife, Lily, who was dying, as well as his son, Jack, who now goes by the name of Frank T.J. Mackey, and as you may have seen in the, in the uh, trailer, leads horrifying seminars on how to seduce and abandon women, just like his father. Earl understands that he did wrong, and as we're about to see, he's actually achieved a state we think of as being a, a healthy part of being forgiven, remorse. So in this clip, Earl, in his final hours, tells his nurse, Phil, played by the late lamented Philip Seymour Hoffman about his life with Lily. She was 
like a doll. Yeah. A beautiful porcelain doll. And the hips. Childbearing hips, you know that? So beautiful. Uh, And I cheated on her over and over and over again because I wanted to be a man and I didn't want her to be a woman, you know, smart, free person who was something. So stupid. What would I think? Did I think for, for, for what I'd done? She was my wife for 23 years. And I, I went behind her over and over. I'd come home and get in her bed and say, I love you. Jack's mother. His mother, Lily. These two that I had and I lost. This is the regret that you made. This is the regret that you make and it's something you take and the blah, blah, Something, something. Give me a cigarette. Mistakes like this, you don't make. Sometimes, uh, you make some and okay. Not okay sometimes, you make other ones. Know that you should do better. I loved Lily. cheated on her. She was my wife for 23 years. And I have a son. And she has cancer. And I'm not there. And he's forced to take care of her. He's 14 years old. To... take care of his mother and watch her die on him. The little kid and I'm not there and she does die. Earlier in the film, Earl asked his nurse, Phil, to find his son, 
But Frank hates his father so much he doesn't want to come. You may remember from the trailer, what does he want? I'm not going to take care of him. All the same, he arrives at his father's house just after Phil has given Earl the morphine for his last journey. And Frank sits at his father's bedside and rages at him as he's unconscious. And it's pretty horrible. I hope you're in a lot of pain, he says. She was in a lot of pain. And Anderson holds on Tom Cruise's face as he moves from rage to realization to grief. Earl has broken him, has shattered his life, helped to shape him into this loathsome human being that he's become. But at the end of things, Frank realizes that he still loves his father. Don't go away, he weeps. Still cursing at him, yes. But don't go away. Earlier in the film, we have heard that when Earl is given that morphine, it is the end of him. Whoever he was, whatever he was, will be gone. But then that miracle I told you about, the miracle that shakes and saves the lives of every character in Magnolia willing to tell the truth, breaks into that sick room. Earl opens his eyes, turns his head, and for a moment at the absolute end of his life, he meets the tear-filled eyes of his son and something happens. Frank looks at his father with forgiveness as he gasps his last breaths. And Earl, Earl dies with the knowledge that he is forgiven. After this, Frank will leave his father's house and go sit at the bedside of his stepmother who in her guilt and grief has tried to take her own life. It is an unexpected moment of grace, an unexpected moment of forgiveness from this Frank T.J. Mackey. It is the hard thing Officer Curring spoke about, the hard thing that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Please, let's read together. You have been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies. Pray for those who torment you and persecute you. In so doing, you become children of your Father in heaven. He, after all, loves each of us, good and evil, kind and cruel. He causes the sun to rise and shine on evil and good alike. He causes the rain to water the fields of the righteous and the fields of the sinner. It is easy to love those who love you. Even a tax collector can love those who love him. And it is easy to greet your friends. Even outsiders do that. But you are called to something higher. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In that clip we watched, Earl tells Phil that we should do better. Some mistakes you don't make. 
And yet we make mistakes all the time. Others make mistakes that damage or even bury us. And yet we are called to imagine that better, higher way, that faithful attempt to figure out what loving the wrongdoer might look like. Now please note, nowhere in that passage from the Sermon on the Mount that we just read, does Jesus suggest that all acts are relative, that there's no such thing as good or evil, that your torment and persecution at the hands of a wrongdoer are not real. He knows that they are. Some mistakes you don't make. And the pain those mistakes can cause, the hurt they engender are very real. Matt Potts argues that the Christian idea of forgiveness does not forego the sort of anger and grief we see Frank expressing at his father's deathbed, or that I sometimes feel when I think about that person whose wrongdoing harms people that I love. It would be easy to dwell on our injury, to stew in the pain, to return pain for pain. But we see what that looks like in Magnolia, and we are called to do more, to be better, to strive for perfection like that of our Father in heaven, to forgive as our Father forgives us. So at the end of Magnolia, Officer Jim Curring pulls together many of the threads in the movie in the aftermath of that miracle I keep teasing, Officer Jim is smarting from a first date with Claudia, the daughter of the TV host. You remember her saying, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? Which is a line from an Amy Mann song. That's actually where the movie came from in the first place. She's fled from Jim because he's asked her that they be honest with each other. But that same miracle brings him face to face with the adult quiz kid played by William H. Macy. That character has stolen from his employer and has changed his mind. And so Officer Jim helps him take the money back into the store and replace it in the safe. And all along he is talking about the necessity of doing the right thing. The necessity of forgiveness. A lot of people think this is just a job that you go to. Take a lunch hour, job's over, something like that, but it's a 24-hour deal. No two ways about it, and what most people don't see is just how hard it is to do the right thing. Sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes people need to be forgiven. If you can forgive someone, well, that's the tough part. What can we forgive? Tough part of the job. Tough part of walking down the street. Jim Curring, our Jesus figure in Magnolia, knows this. Jesus, our redeeming king, teaches it. If we are only able to love the lovely, then what are we? But to love the unlovely, to forgive what seems unforgivable, well, that ultimately is the Christian lesson that this movie teaches us how to do and to do better. 
In Magnolia, we get to see as God sees, with a sympathy for the brokenness which enters into every human life. In Magnolia, we see that God makes the showers to fall upon the just and the unjust. And in Magnolia, we discover how God is right there with us as we try to live into the tough part of the job. Sometimes God may even throw in some variety of miracle to help make it possible. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.